dear lord thank you for today thank you for this morning afternoon evening whatever time anyone is listening to this thank you for december thank you for bringing us to the last month of this year and already coming to an end of the year in general and i thank you for another chance we get to study your word i pray lord that even as we go through this book second thessalonians i pray for clarity i pray that the truth of your word rings true in our hearts i pray that there is no confusion i pray that there is no contradiction i pray that you are glorified through your word even as we learn in jesus name amen 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 all right so today we're starting off a new book um most likely the last book of the year i'm hoping that we could probably get it done maybe next week um or perhaps the last or two weeks after and i do realize that um not everyone might be able to join next week and the week after because it's christmas it's new year there's a lot going on and that is totally fine if you can't make it in person or live not in person if you can't be there live the recordings will be out that same day um so please do well to catch up on 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 whatever we talk about for the rest of this month the plan is to finish second thessalonians before the end of this year um hi paul how are you doing um good evening Mrs. Aofeso, so good to see you. Uh, hope you had a good week as well. Hi, Yanu, good to see you. Um, you're welcome. All right, so Second Thessalonians. Let's jump right into it. Uh, get your Bibles, get your writing materials, get your notepads. Um, I think I'm currently working on probably from next year, maybe projecting the verses on the Zoom as well, so that whenever anyone joins. They would know what verse we are in, <laughs> or they can follow through. Um, but even regardless, have your Bibles, have your notepads, and if you have any questions, just take note of them. You could always ask uh, at the end of the teaching. But Second Thessalonians one and two weeks ago, we finished First Thessalonians, and I hope we had it. We had the chance to at least go through whether your notes, whether the book in general. Um, whether the teachings, if you had the time. But 2 Thessalonians is literally part two. It's a follow-up of everything we've covered in 1 Thessalonians. If you remember 1 Thessalonians, uh, what was the whole idea behind that book? It was Paul went to a city, Thessalonica, right? And he was there with them maybe a couple weeks. He got people saved. He had started to teach and disciple. And then, all of a sudden, Jews came and like, this poor guy is causing trouble. He wants to destroy Judaism. We would either kill him or we'll die. <laughs> One of us will shall die, but it will not be us. And because of intense persecution, Paul had to leave Thessalonica. And I mean, these are new believers. These are people that you've not even spent a year with, grounding them in the faith, teaching them, establishing them. Maybe up to the point of even building competent leaders and all of that, right? You literally had to just preach the gospel, get people saved, run away. And of course, he's worried, right? 
he's worried he's he's um he's he's like are these people still saved did these people actually get what i was trying to teach them are they thriving how are they standing in the face of persecution amongst all that some people had questions that oh paul since you left my brother received christ but he's dead what happens to him right because he did not spend enough time teaching them for no fault of his by the way and we talked a lot about that um in through our teachings in first Thessalonians, the need for discipleship the need for time to train people matthew 28 go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations it's not just make converts a disciple is a student someone who through teaching has come to believe the same things you believe when you say oh i'm a um, we, we use that word, what is your discipline in Nigeria? Maybe not in the US. We say, oh, what is your discipline? Oh, you say, oh, I'm, I'm a computer science student. It means that day in, day out, you are, you are taking classes, you're reading, you're doing assignments, you're writing projects, just so that at the end of four years, you can say, oh, yes, I have been discipled in the field of computer science. It's the same thing with Christianity. It's just that this one is not four years. There's no kind, there's no extra year. It just keeps going. It just, it just keeps going, right? That I am a disciple of Christ, meaning I have dedicated my life to learning about Jesus, learning about the things he taught, learning about God, learning about who I am because of what he did and how I should respond to that reality. And so two weeks is not enough. Two years is not enough. 20 years is not enough. So Paul is like, oh my goodness, how are these people doing? He sends Timothy and Timothy comes back and he's like, Paul, these people are standing strong, even in the face of persecution. These people are standing strong. Even It was good news. They still love God. They still love one another. Yes, their neighbors are fighting them. Yes, people insult them. They are still standing strong. It says, oh, they have these questions, but they are strong. And Paul writes 1 Thessalonians to encourage them, to encourage them in the face of persecution, to answer some of their questions about the coming of Christ and to just, just let them know that don't worry, hopefully I can see you soon. Until then, keep growing. Keep growing. That's 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians is literally, maybe probably condensed version most theologians will agree that it was written a couple weeks after first thessalonians and so the idea was the letter goes back to them right paul sends the letter to them first thessalonians maybe after a while some people have even more questions and we're going to see that in chapter two right they are still suffering in fact the persecution is still ongoing it has intensified and not only that there's now some form of false teaching about the coming of christ that it has probably already happened and so they're like, ah, the reason people are suffering is because Jesus has left you. Imagine 2,000 years ago, they were already saying that Jesus has already come. So if it happens in our time, it's not, it's not strange. It's not strange, right? And so there were false teachings. Maybe some people, maybe by prophets, like, oh, I see that the Lord has come already. He has left you behind. <laughs> he did not, uh, what's that song? He did not, he forgot, he forgot you. <laughs> and Paul is like, what? that at least you should remember that when i was with you i gave you a couple signs well yes we don't know when it would happen but at least 
you can be sure that certain things will happen before. And if those things have not happened, Jesus can't have returned already. Not only that, he encourages them. You guys are saved. He's coming for you. So if none of these things have happened in you and for you, you don't have to be worried. Just keep serving Jesus. Right? And then he ends the ends the book reminding them again that no one should be lazy. No one should be irresponsible. The whole point of 2 Thessalonians is literally just a follow-up to 1 Thessalonians and it's to continue, it's to add even more encouragement to people who are living in a time where it is hard to follow Jesus. And like I've always talked about in many episodes that refer to persecution, which is probably all of them, right? Yes, in your own life, no one is putting a knife on your throat. No one has uh, maybe threatened to to take your job if you don't um, renounce Jesus. For many of us, or many people listening to the podcast, right? Wherever you're listening from, for many of us, maybe not all, you don't experience physical persecution or you are not, the threat of physical persecution is not something you're familiar with in your Christian walk. For For some of us, maybe... The highest we've experienced is that in college, your friends or people just don't like you, <laughs> right? Or um, some people say, oh, this person is too religious. I, I don't really want to hang out with them. Maybe it's that that perception. Maybe it's a social, per- social persecution. There's a perception that because you love Jesus, you are either weird or you're boring or you're, you are, I don't know, what other thing would they say? Well, some of that that might be it. But it's still real, right? I don't want to downplay that. Yes, it might not be physical. You might not have lost a loved one. But everybody in this world that chooses to live a life for Jesus will feel the impact of the push of the world. That, oh, I'm running against the majority. Or I'm running against popular opinion. I'm running against convenience. I'm running against. Um, I, I was. I'm listening to a song now. I like that song. It's called uh, "This Thing Called Life" by Ayubedi Gwang. There's there's some verses there. There's some lines in the verses that, that speak to that. Oh me, I just want to flex. I I I I, uh, I know that I'm smart or something. I want to do cool. What people call cool stuff or stuff like that. That might be the only perception that. Oh, um, this Christian that has church on Sunday. Like for instance. There's the World Cup final. And unfortunately, I don't know why I am in such a time zone. It is Sunday 9 a.m. my time. And Argentina made it. I said it at the start of this World Cup. That it is on a Sunday. If Argentina makes it to the final, what will I do? I said it. And now they have made it to the final. <laughs> the question still remains. What will I do? And so I have friends that are like, oh, Let's go watch the World Cup final. And I'm like, I can't. I have church on Sunday. And they don't get it. Like, really? I mean, World Cup final is once in four years. You can't miss church. I asked myself the same question. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. I asked myself the same question. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, no. You know, I'm serving. I have to be at church. And all of that. And that is it. It's a testament to the sincerity of your faith. 
they might not get it and you should probably even use that as an opportunity to that to engage them that i'm choosing to go as painful as painful as it is i'm i'm choosing to go yeah no i'm the host of this meeting i will I would take drastic measures against anyone that speaks against mercy. I would take very drastic measures. <laughs> Anyways, um, I'm, I'm joking. But yes, what was I saying? It's a testament to your faith. The point was I started by saying, in choosing to follow Jesus, you would see or you would have to make uh, sacrifices. You would have to make sacrifices. You'd have to make sacrifices. And the world may not always understand. And because they don't understand, they might ridicule you. The ones that might understand but might not be on the side, on the same side, will try to persecute you. But it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the fact that as believers, this is what we've been called to. Not only that, this is what we've been engraced for. Because it's one thing to have, a, oh, in this world, they will persecute and then you're just sad and down and feeling like, oh my God, I can never wait. No, 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 no. Yes, there's the reality of persecution, but there's also the reality of God's grace, God's strength to face persecution head on. I mean, we always talk about, oh, we want to be like the early church. We want to be like the, do you know how much persecution these guys face? And yet, they were able to take over the entire Roman Empire to the point where even the Roman Emperor became a Christian and made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Whether or not that was a good thing is a completely different conversation. But it just shows that even in the face of intense, in, oh my goodness, if you know what Emperor Nero did to some of these people, people being fed to lions, people being burned, people being killed, People losing loved ones just because you said oh i believe that someone died and rose again i'm not trying to steal i'm not trying to kill i am not trying to 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 revolt against the the society i just believe that someone died and rose again and because of that i walk in love i'm kind i mean think about it it just shows how much how intentional the devil and the demons of this world have come to fight against our message just because you believe someone died and rose there are people that believe all sorts of things nothing nothing is happening but just because i believe jesus died and rose this is well the point then again is yes there's the reality of persecution but we can be strong we can be bold and we can still engage and influence our societies for Jesus in the face of it because that is the example we see in the scripture. And so 2 Thessalonians continues in that theme. Today we're going to look at the idea, the, the consolation of the return of Christ. Chapter 2 talks about the things that should happen before Christ comes. And then chapter 3 is a final reminder to be productive in your living for Christ. Amen. 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 I was listening to the Bible Project Summary, which I highly recommend. Before you start a new book, just check on YouTube or somewhere. Second Thessalonians Bible Project. 
oh, this this Bible project, any book, it's really helpful. And there was a phrase that they ended the summary with that I want to share. It really, really summarizes the entire book and actually all of Christianity. And it says, what you hope for shapes what you live for. I'll say it again. What you hope for shapes what you live for. If truly you wake up every day living for that hope that Jesus is coming again to make all things right, it would show in how you live your day-to-day life. It would show. It would show. It was in First Thessalonians 5. It said, we do not mourn, or um, for rather, we don't mourn like them that have no hope. So the way we mourn, the way we work, the way we talk, the way we interact with this world, it should reflect the fact that we have a hope. We have a hope. Amen. So turn your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 1. We're reading, I'm reading from the NKJV. You're free to compare other translations as well. Get your notepads and let's start. It says, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, as usual, right? We are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Classic Paul opener, writing to this church. Sometimes he says you are saints. Sometimes he says the church of God. Now he's saying you who belong to God. And the, and, and the Lord Jesus. He says, may the God, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus give you grace and peace. I've talked about this a lot. Grace, the divine influence of God in the, in the human heart. Ududua, hmm. you will fail. <laughs> you have failed this time. In the human heart, the, 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 uh, the divine influence of God in the human heart to enable him or her do what God wants them to do. That is grace. When God divinely enables you to do what he wants you to do. And peace as well. Peace with God. Peace with people around you. Let's start verse 3. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank... Oh, I'm reading from the NLT. Sorry. Let me change it back to my translation. (laughs) We are bound to thank God always for you as it is fitting. Because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you abounds towards each other if you can highlight you can highlight if you're taking notes you should take this down many many times as we've seen through journey through the epistles two things that paul uses to describe a healthy church number one your faith is growing number two your love is growing your faith is growing your love is growing and because of that we can thank God or we should thank God for you. And the question to reflect on is that when you look at your life, is your faith growing? Is your love growing? What is faith? Yeah, your conviction in the truth of Christianity. Are you growing in faith? Are you learning more about what who Jesus is, what he has done? Are you becoming more grounded in that? How does your faith grow? Through teaching, through meditation, through prayers, through acting on what you believe. And so these are people that they are growing in the knowledge of God. It's showing in their lives. They are steadfast in what they believe, even in the face of persecution. Is your faith growing? 
But not only that, is your love growing. Very important. Because what we can learn when we read the epistles, and I want everyone to imbibe this as a culture of Christianity, is that any expression of Christianity that doesn't include love for others is not healthy. A big part of our identity is what? Love for each other. Jesus, when he was praying, says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. Is it by the signs and wonders? Yes, that is part. Is it just by the size of your churches? Is it by um, how well you all dress? These Christians, oh my gosh. These guys can dress. <laughs> how did Jesus say that all men will know? How? He says that you love one another. He says, when you love one another, they will know that indeed you are in me. I am in you. And so the biggest marker of Christianity is our love for each other and for the world. Think about that. Signs are vital and are necessary for the work. Um, what else? Acts of devotion. Vital. Necessary for the work. Oh, we gather to pray. Oh, wow. These Christians can just pray. They are so, they are devoted. They are religious. Again, I've talked about that in previous teachings. They say, oh, I'm not religious. No, no, no. Christianity, you are really, what, what does it mean to be religious? It simply means to do something consistently and with effort. That's just what it means. So, oh, this person studies religiously. It means that they study often and consistently for long periods of time and consistent amounts of time. So yes, we are to be religious in quotes, in the sense in which we pray constantly, we study constantly, but it's not just religion. So don't, don't go out and say, hey, I'm not, I don't have a religion. <laughs> we saw it in James 1. He says, this is true religion. If James calls Christianity a religion, Christianity is a religion. <laughs> All right. But, is that, is that the marker? Oh, these guys pray. These guys can They can read their Bibles. Oh my gosh. These are good things. But the biggest marker that people should see in your life is that you love other Christians. Like, you just love the body. Not only that, you also love the people that are dying in their sins. It should be love. That in my life, I have never met a more loving group than Christians. That should be our biggest testimony to the world. And so you see Acts. When the church started and Luke was describing it to Uncle Theo, right? What did he say? He said, they, yes, he said they prayed. They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. He said, but they had all things common. He said, no one felt that what they had was just it. I'm just his. <laughs> it is well. Just his or just hers. But it was for all of them. He says that if anyone had anything, they sold it, gave the money <laughs> to the apostles so that they distributed. He said, no one lacked. No one lacked. And so, 
And yes, that was a reason why I'm sure some people joined and why you start to hear things like, oh, this guy is sleeping with his mother's wife because he just identified with the church. He probably was not even truly converted of heart. But the point was that people looked at these people, this community of believers, and they're like, my goodness. No one lacked. Think about that. A community where if you join, you are not going to lack anything because the people that have will gladly give so that you don't you don't lack. And yet, they are not lazy. Because you would have thought, oh, ah, so I can just come in and free food, free transportation for the rest of my life. Wow, what a religion. Sign me up today. But yet, they are not lazy. They are hardworking. And you're like, wow. People that are ready to give, give themselves. Think about it. The church in Jerusalem, there was a famine. And then Paul, had, Paul went through the Gentile churches, Macedonia, Corinth, Philippi. These are people that have never, they've never seen the believers, the, the, the church in Jerusalem. Maybe most of them. They don't know anybody in that church in Jerusalem. They don't know them. But just because they heard that, ah, there is a church right now that is going through a famine and people don't have what to eat. They gladly the Macedonians said they even gave out of their poverty. It's not even as if they had enough to give. They gave out of the little they had. They said, so that our brothers that brought us this message will not starve to death. That is the biggest marker of salvation. That you become someone who loves radically. You know that phrase, say, oh, he's madly in love. I always find it very interesting, right? That you say, he's madly in love with her. <laughs> she's madly in love it, it describes that it, there's a way that you can love to the point where it's like madness you see romeo and juliet say oh my god romeo is dead kill yourself as madness and then romeo will say oh wow juliet is dead and then he kills himself that's what you mean by you are madly in love you are mad or titanic you say please stay on this boat me i will freeze to death or on this door i will freeze that's madly in love. <laughs> madly in love. But literally, that is the kind of love that we see in Christ. He says, I will die for you. I'll catch a grenade for you. Jesus, he didn't, it's not I will die. Jesus died on the cross for you. Throw my hand in the plane. Jesus did it. <laughs> I'll jump in front of the train. Jesus jumped in front of the train of sin. <laughs> he did it all. That is the kind of example we see in the church or in our faith and then jesus says dearly beloved meaning people that i love i have shown you how much i love you imitate it love one another and so that's why <laughs> yes so that's why for paul he doesn't just say oh your faith is growing wow you guys are growing in, in knowledge you're growing in devotion you're great he says and your love abounds. Your love abounds. It's something to check your life. Am I, am I growing in love? Do I love God's people more? Do I? Do I love people that are dying in the world more? It's a sign of spiritual growth. And even in subtle ways, I want you to see... One thing that's always been big on my heart since, since I was in college is if this is the case, then how do we explain some of the expressions we see? Like, 
we should never gather and all you are thinking about is always oh, just for myself even the epistles were reading it was literally read to a community so that they would all hold themselves accountable they would explain it to one another they would talk about it together it was communal literature it wasn't just for themselves that oh just my personal my personal <laughs> interaction with the word of god no 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 there's a place for you personally we like that in our core we're very individualistic growing in prayers growing in 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 study but ultimately the whole point of your own personal times and personal is so that you can bring that to a community bible study originally was a was group it was it was communal activity because they couldn't even read right they couldn't even so it was literally read aloud and they all talked about it that's how they did their bible study think about that think about that and so when we gather even like on it should show in our services that beyond anything is love for one another till tomorrow i'm still uncomfortable with things like um telling your neighbor my blessing will be greater than your own like i get the point in terms of stirring up expectations but be careful that it doesn't subconsciously build in your mind that opinion that oh i'm going to church is just me and my god no that is not what you are going on a sunday morning to do it's not just you and your god is you your god and the body of christ when they were gathering in acts no one is coming there saying it's just me and my god my neighbor will not distract me i will leave you get like the one with the loudest is i get what it means in terms of expectation but be careful that it doesn't rob you of that mindset of community you belong to a body you are no longer just your own you are what just happened <laughs> for the first time ever i am officially using mtn <laughs> teach you guys <laughs> where did i <laughs> uh wow that's interesting this has never happened i just hope my recording is not well i'm recording elsewhere but <laughs> all right so um see everywhere you go <laughs> what was i saying uh yes you are coming to interact with a body with a body with a body you're not just it's not just you it's not just it's, everything is not just about your christian work your personal devotion your uh-uh. you have people around you so much so you study the epistles every time a brother is weak what is the instruction it's the to the people around it's to the strong ones it's to the strong ones yes you can pick it up but more so it's your body that would say ah you're not praying as you let's let's help you're not studying let's help you don't understand this passage let's help you're struggling to believe god for this let's come alongside you christianity was not made to be done alone it wasn't made to be done alone and it should show in your mindset it should show in the way you talk it should show in the way you interact in your local churches 
it should show in the way you think about the church of God global. That's why in Hebrews 13, he could say things like, remember those that are in chains as if you are there with them. And so you hear of believers suffering in Afghanistan. It should bother you that right now as I'm speaking or as I am like this, you mean to tell me there are brothers and sisters that believe Jesus died and rose and are living for that and are being killed. It should bother you. It should bother you. It should bother you. Let it show in your prayer points. Let it show in your heart dispositions. In 2023, think about the body of Christ. Think about the church. Start from your local church. How can we as a body grow together? Not just, God, what do you have for me? God, what do you have for me? Nah. There's more. Amen. Amen. And that's why you'd see Paul is, wherever Paul describes the body of Christ, what does he use? Whenever he's talking about identity, who you are in Christ, or your relationship to people, he uses family. So he calls you, calls everyone brothers and sisters. That's the relationship we have with one another. Whenever he's discussing purpose, and it's something you, should, you, you can take note of. Whenever Paul is talking about Christian identity, Christian relationships, he's saying brothers and sisters. Whenever he's discussing purpose, he says, why body? Why body? He uses those two words, family and body, to show that our lives are intertwined. We directly interact, our actions and inactions directly affect others around us, other Christians around us. And so that's why he says, I'm thankful because your faith grows exceedingly and your love abounds towards each other. It's a, it's a, it's a, if you want to check how well it, it's literally the biggest vital sign of a healthy church. How much do they love one another? How much do they love one another? How much do they love one another? Amen. Amen. And then he goes on in verse 4. So that we ourselves, most of you, among the churches of God, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. So now he goes on one more step. He says, we thank God because your faith is growing, your love is growing, but we also boast about you guys. We're telling Philip, he said, those Thessalonians, oh my God. He's telling Corinth, those Thessalonians. He goes to Rome, he says, have you met those Thessalonians? What is he boasting about? That ah, they have suffered hope. They, they have seen Shege. Uh, for those that listen, I don't know what Shege means. It just means, what does Shege mean? Shege means Shege. Like bad, bad things negative occurrences i have to keep in mind that not everyone listening is nigerian but um the idea there is that these thessalonian people have suffered <laughs> they, they have gone through a lot and they are still going through a lot it says but nevertheless they are they are patient and they are steadfast in faith and so it's not like hey yeah and these people are suffering i wonder maybe they are not doing something right maybe they should pray more Maybe they don't have faith. No, no, no. In fact, 
It is the fact that they are able to go through suffering steadfast. It's proof that they have faith. It's proof that they have faith. Proof that they have faith. And what does that just show us? It, it shows that contrary to what we think, it is actually a commendable thing or a noble thing to stand in the face of pain even while you're waiting for God to step in, whether on this side of eternity or the next. It is something we should see as commendable in a believer when they are steadfast in pain. Not, ah, are you sure you have been praying, brother, brother Paul? Maybe, maybe you have offended God. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And as much as there were prayers for it to stop, this is not a, hey, we're suffering. Wow, what a life. Keep the suffering coming. No. Even in 1 Timothy 2, Paul would tell you, pray for kings. Pray for those in authority. Why? So that we would live a peaceable life. It is not God's ideal that Christians should suffer. Yes, it's going to happen. It's not God's ideal. And so Paul says, pray. Pray that. Pray for those in leadership. <clears throat> pray for authority. So that we'll be at peace. And that's exactly what we saw in the early church. Yes, it took a while. But eventually, the prayers caught up with leadership and they were saved. And Christianity was at peace. So it's not God's ideal. But in the waiting moments, while it's ongoing, you see a believer that is patient, that is faithful. It's a thing of boasting that indeed, ah, this person, God has worked on their hearts. God has worked on their hearts. God has worked on their hearts. And he goes on. It says that your, 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 these persecutions that you endure is a manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. Now we're getting into the teaching for today proper. It says that it's a righteous, it's, it's an evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since it is a righteous thing with God, verse 6, to repay with tribulations those who trouble you. We're getting to the, the meats, the bread and butter of uh, the Philemon of today's teaching. Paul is saying that your sufferings for Christ and your, your steadfastness under its proof of God's righteous judgment. And, and so, already we start to see that there's something about the suffering of the saints that is tied to the judgment of God. That on one hand, it shows that they are indeed the people of God. Why? Because they have suffered. It's like Paul saying in Galatians, let no man trouble me. Why? I bear on my body the marks that show I belong to Jesus. Meaning through suffering, I have proven to everyone that I identify with Christ. Don't disturb me. Please just leave me alone. You see Peter and John in Acts 4, I believe, as this is, they were flogged, they left rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer for Christ. Paul in Philippians, I bear, I, I, I bear in my body the sufferings that remain. Right? on behalf of God and his, of Christ and his church. And so, 
through these people, the people of Thessalonica, in their suffering, as the world hates them, as they are being ridiculed, being mocked, it simply shows that they will be counted worthy when Christ returns. That's one part. But then he also shows that God will be just when he deals with those the people persecuting them. And we talked about that in 1 Thessalonians. If you haven't listened to that, please check it out. The day of the Lord. And we're asking, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And the answer was what? It depends. It depends on where you lie. For the people of God, it is beautiful. It is something to look forward to. But for those who have chosen to rebel against God and his son, it is not a good day. And that's what we see here. In God's righteous judgment, that it will be to be true righteous judgment that the believers are saved. The believers are counted worthy. And then it is also righteous, meaning it is the right thing to do to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And we we instinctively as humans, it's it's and I'm going to talk about that in the next couple verses, right? You you go out on evangelism and like how would God why? Why is God how can a good God, a loving God, send people to hell? And then you ask them, if Hitler was alive today, should he be arrested? Say yes. Should he be punished? You say yes. So you believe that it is righteous to punish evil and to reward good. You say yes. You say, oh, if someone, God forbid, you hear that a baby was raped, a baby was raped by a 42-year-old man. I say, what should you do to that? I say, ah, arrest him. Justice. Is it just all lives matter. Black lives matter. Every life matters. I don't know. Right? You say, oh my God, we want justice. And you post about it. If you hear that there was a, literally, if you hear that um, there's a guy that is a serial rapist and he was finally caught. And let's say, God forbid, for whatever reason, he was, he said, put out his head. Like, literally, the rape, you can see the rape victims. You can see the parents of the rape victims crying, giving story after story of how their lives have been traumatized. And then you see him there standing. He's not even repentant. He doesn't even care. And let's say he gets a good lawyer. And the lawyer's like, oh. And the judge says, you can go. I think it's all good. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Just maybe pay $2,000 and have a great day. Ah, people will write posts. People will tweet. Say it, we demand justice. And so even as society, even as humans, corrupt as we are, broken as we are, instinctively, we know that good should be rewarded and evil should be punished. Where did that come from? Of course, if you believe, if you have a theological worldview that we were created, it shows that God put it there because it's in him. God is just. And that's why we instinctively crave or yearn for justice. I hope that makes sense. And so for that person that is always asking, how can a good God, <laughs> how can a good God, what you're asking is that God should not deal with evil. That's what you're literally saying. And I, I'm still going to get to the more subtle arguments of, uh, does he have to be forever? What about people that didn't know? At least they were still good people. They didn't kill. They, they are not like the rapists I talked about. They're not like Hitler. Why should they all go to the same place? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. 
But for big as as a baseline, as a foundation, we all know that it is the right thing to do to punish evil and to reward good. And Paul makes it very clear. He's telling the Thessalonian church that don't worry, keep trusting God. God is a righteous judge. Your sufferings are only proof that you belong to him and he will judge those that persecute you. And it's something we can trust even in our own lives. Just bringing it up to application now. I'm not saying someone is in trouble you that God will punish. I'm just saying that even in your own personal life, you can trust that God is righteous. He will do what is right. Whether on this side of eternity or not, you can trust him to do what is right. Let's go to verse 7. It says, so from verse 6, it's the righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And we've talked about that in heaven and earth. We've talked about that in um, the day of the Lord. It says that for those of you who are troubled, God will give you rest. So he's pretty much saying that in, implicitly, the persecution might not end in your lifetime. You might not see it end. I mean, they've already. some of these people had lost loved ones. Some had lost siblings, lost parents. But he tells them that don't worry. There is rest when Jesus is revealed from heaven. There is rest when Jesus is revealed from heaven. And I like, I like that word. He didn't just say justice. He didn't just say recompense. He says that the reward of the saints is rest. 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 What does that show? It shows that what they have been doing is work. <laughs> if your reward is rest, it means that you have been working before. Right? You cannot reward someone that has been resting with even more rest. <laughs> so if he says that God will give you who are troubled, rest. He's describing their current experience. That there is a lot of toil. There is a lot of hardship. But God will give you rest. God will give you rest. You can trust that if not on this side of eternity, on the other side, you would see that it has been worth it. The persecution, the suffering, the ridicule, the sacrifices. For many of us, yes, it might not be intense, but at least even the sacrifices. It says God will give you rest. God will give you rest. This is when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And now he goes on. It says, in flaming fire. So he's coming with mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. It says he's coming to take vengeance. Now it's getting intense. It's like, oh my God. I, I was joking when I was preparing, when I was preparing for today's teaching and I was just thinking, I'm like, this is probably a passage more to be read to unbelievers than to believers but the funny thing is that this is a scripture of comfort and of course you might not be intended so for you it might be fine but for people currently in afghanistan reading second thessalonians 1 
it is highly comforting <laughs> highly comforting highly comforting but it says that god will will judge those that don't know him and those that do not obey the gospel so now let's let's take those let's take those those uh, categories apart first of all it says those that do not know god and you're like ah why is god punishing those that don't know him why they don't know him now is it their fault right and i'm going to present a couple perspectives to this conversation you can take notes it's more something you should think about it might not settle in some of you but i just want to lay out a few things for us to consider so the first thing right the first thing is romans so when he talks about people that don't know god for instance we see that in first thessalonians first thessalonians 4 verse 5 he, he was talking about how we should not engage in loss like the gentiles who do not know god and so the idea there is that they are they are living a life that shows that they are not acquainted with who god is of course god is revealed in jesus if you do not know jesus you don't know god that's 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 clear it says if you've seen me you've seen the father if you don't know me you don't know the father and so there's a sense in which anyone yes we're sounding exclusive yes it started to it, it might ruffle a few feathers but the truth is anyone who is not saved or who is not a christian does not know god and that's why paul will come and say you don't know the god you are worshiping he says let me tell you you don't know god let, can i to an unknown god it is that unknown god that i'm here to explain to you so there's a sense in which there are people who do not they've never heard the gospel and i'm sure everyone here at least if you've thought about salvation you might have wondered what happens to those that have never heard the gospel there is an island today in this world that civilization has not touched i, I read a story about it, like literally they still walk around almost naked they still use spears we can't communicate with them and they've been left alone in fact there was a i think there was a christian that went there and he was killed with spears because they are very hostile they do not want to be disturbed what happens to them they don't know the gospel i i, I highly doubt it i highly doubt it maybe i don't know maybe an angel has appeared but i highly doubt it i remember um when i moved and uh, when i started my masters here and my roommate was chinese and we're having a conversation and I, I shared the gospel with him. He had never heard it before. You know, coming from Nigeria, everyone knows Jesus. Eh? They might not believe in him. They might not be faithful. But at least if you say, oh, I want to tell you about you say that Jesus. Is it not that person that died for my sins? They knew. He had never heard the gospel. For them, in their classes, it was, the Bible was like presented as a fairy. You know all this? fairy tale and it blights in i don't even read any blights in or disney disney stories that's the same category of the bible it's just myth oh there are some people weird people that believe strange things about the world and i i i shared the gospel of the death and resurrection of christ and he had never heard it before never heard meaning that there are millions just like him yes they might have heard of christianity they might know their churches or it's one of these religions, but they've never heard the gospel. What happens? What happens? What happens? 
there's also a category i want to describe let's go to romans 1 romans 1 romans 1 it's a very very delicate issue romans 1 verse 18 we'll talk more about it in romans but let's just read through let me read from the niv let me read from the niv it says romans 1 verse 18 the wrath of god is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness all right and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness see that word they suppress the truth verse 19 it says since what is to be known about god is plain to them because god has made it plain verse 24 since the creation of the world god's invisible invisible qualities his eternal power his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse this is something in theology we call general revelation the idea that there is enough witness in creation to point to the existence of god to make sure that at least as a human you should be thinking about the existence of god now look at verse 21 for although they knew god they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened and so this paints a, we'll get back to that in romans 1 but just reading it paints the picture of people that when he says they don't know god it's not necessarily due to ignorance as much as it is due to suppressing the initial presentations of truth does that make sense i, I hope it makes sense you can put a thumbs up if it does and so he's saying paul is saying that there are, there's a category of people that have rejected the knowledge of god that is revealed in creation and in conscience that is revealed in creation and in conscience and yes i'll, I'll get to um what he said there are others that do believe there is a god but don't know about jesus don't know about jesus but then we can even counter argue like paul when he went in Acts 17 and he's like why would you think that god is an idol that god is something that your hands have made he said how can you worship something you made it's like think about it think about it but all that to say there are people who have suppressed the knowledge of god there are people that have never heard the gospel they've never heard the gospel there are people that have rejected the gospel right that's the second category and now the question then is what happens to someone who is good in quotes he's a good son he's a good daughter she's a good daughter she works she she or he just lives life never heard the gospel and died i'm not going to give an answer but i'm going to give helpful things to think about helpful things to think about the first thing that we should always remember is that it is not rejecting the gospel that leads to death 
what led what led to death or what leads to death whichever one it's sin it's sin it is being apart from god and so for instance if there's a remote village and there's a woman dying of cancer or dying of malaria because cancer doesn't yet have a clear cure dying of malaria and let's say she dies and two weeks later let's say there was a child there like mommy don't die and then the mom dies two weeks later doctors visit the village for the first time in the village's history and they start to bring those disgusting quinine drugs lonats and all (laughs) all those drugs that (laughs) and they bring it to that village and all of a sudden if you have malaria you don't have to die question what killed in what killed the mother two weeks ago was it her refusal to take lonat no what killed her was malaria it was malaria that killed yes she did not have a cure if she had the cure then it would have been better she would might not or probably won't have died but she did not have the cure it was not the cure or inaccessibility to the cure that killed her it was the sickness that killed her. and so even when we talk about these things let's first be clear that what is leading man into eternal separation from god is sin and paul argues that if you look at the world you should be able to know that there is a god and humans are really not getting it right there, there's something wrong with the world you might not be able to have all the facts of the gospel but general revelation should get you to that point that there's something wrong with the world and there's a god out there that's the first thing i want to say the second thing i want to say though hopefully this helps is that we all have a conscience and there's something in us like i said that reacts to injustice yes it may be skewed sometimes but everyone feels strongly about murder everyone feels strongly about certain moral actions and so i want to i want to i'm saying this to appeal to the fact that if you feel like um that is not fair right like they didn't hear the gospel are you telling me they're going to suffer just like the guy that i've been preaching to and this one said no i will enjoy life i don't care about god they're not really the same right you can say that and you can be like ah ah, god what is going to happen to these people i want to tell you that the fact that you feel strongly about it is a good sign It's a good sign because God puts conscience in us. God put conscience in us. And I will give you two things that would help calm your conscience down. Because to be fair, the Bible doesn't talk a lot about the faith of people who never heard the gospel. It doesn't say a whole lot about it. But there are two things that we can, beyond what I've said again about general revelation, about the awareness of God, about suppressing the truth, two things that would help the first one is is all judgment the same this is something that a lot of people have never really thought about and i remember if you share it to some people they're like oh my god what are you saying 
Because there's a common theological, there's a common assumption we have. Sin is sin. There's no big sin. There's no small sin. All sin is sin and you will be judged. Is that true? <laughs> is that true? Remember in the heaven teaching, I told you, anything you heard growing up about Christianity and then you got serious with your work with God, examine it. If you can't defend it biblically, don't just be saying it. So if I say sin is sin, tell prove it to me. If you say sin is not sin, prove it to me biblically. That's why we have the Bible. And so for instance, for instance, for instance, we already know that yes, all may go to, like all who are saved will go to heaven in quotes. But there are degrees of rewards according to your work. And so to the person that has labored more, they will be rewarded more. We know that. We read Second and First Corinthians 3 that there are some ministers that they taught so much nonsense, but they are saved. It says that they will be saved as though someone was snatched by the fire. Everything they worked for will be destroyed. But at least you believe the gospel, so you will be saved. But it's as though they dragged you out of a burning building. Whereas there will be people whose work would stand the test of eternity. And so, in quotes, heaven is not heaven. <laughs> for some, there will be reward. For some, there will be little. Not only that, Revelations 20, Revelations 20, 11 to 15. Turn your Bibles there. I'll try and speed up so that we'll, but we'll soon be done actually. Don't worry. There's not much left. Revelations 20, 11 to 15. It says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened and another book was opened, the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done. According to what they had done. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead. Death and Hades gave up the dead. So these are people who are in chaos. And it says, each person was judged according to what he had done. And so Hitler has done a lot. <laughs> he will be judged according to what he has done. The guy that just wanted to play around with his life will be judged according to what he has done. But let's look at a few more verses. A few more verses. Um, Luke 10. Luke 10, 13. Luke 10, 13. Let's go there. Luke 10, 13. It says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes but what it will be more bearable you see that more this is jesus speaking so you know it's me it's jesus it's not me it's not my brother it says more bear well it's my brother actually <laughs> more bearable for tyre and sidon in judgment than for you than for you and so jesus says if I was alive in those days and I did the things that I'm doing here in that time, they would have repented. It says, yes, they didn't repent and judgment is waiting. It says, but because you had access to greater revelation and you still rejected it, in judgment, 
it will be worse for you. So it's not the same. It is, ah, all of you rejected. Oh, yeah, all of you. Same fate. No, no, no. It says it will be worse for Chorazin and Bethsaida than for Tyre and Sidon. It will be worse. So we see varying levels or degrees of judgment. We see the same thing in Luke 12. Luke 12. Let's go there. Luke 12. Luke 12. Uh, I would read from verse 42. It says, Who is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance in time? Verse 43. It will be good that that servant, it will be good for the servant whom the master finds doing what's doing so when he returns. Let me read from uh, verse 45. Suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time. And then he begins to beat the men servants, the maid servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servants will come on a day when he does not expect. And at that hour is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. That servant knows, see, the servant who knows his master's will and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows but the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows from everyone who has given much much will be demanded who has been given much rather much will be demanded from the one who has been entrusted with much much more will be asked and so there's already that clear sign. For instance, we know that Israel, <laughs> God will deal with them. <laughs> Unbelieving Israel, let me put it that way. God will deal with them. Why? Because they had access to greater revelation. And so from these verses, we see it. He says it's better not to know. Well, I wouldn't say that. It's better to know and then do. But yes, the worst of all is those that know and did not. That one, only God can save you. <laughs> actually, even him, you have rejected him, so you, he can't actually save you anymore. But we see the idea there. We see the idea there that contrary to what we think, it's not necessary when we stand before God in judgment, even unbelievers, it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be the same. And so we see varying levels. God, God, like I said, you as you are human, broken and fallen, you still feel somehow that Hitler will suffer the same fate as, let's say, a guy that didn't hear the gospel but was living a, in quotes, good life. And of course, a lot of these things also, we need to realize that what we think is good is not good. Again, like I said, general revelation is sufficient to bring you to a point where you realize God is good and you're not. If you are honest with yourself, you should be clear on that. And so there should be that sense that God is good and I'm not. How do we balance that? Then the gospel may come in. But at least, if you can't get to that point, it says something about maybe culture has so suppressed it in you. Maybe you have suppressed it in yourself or something like that. But we do know that last, last, there are varying degrees of judgment and God is faithful enough to account for intensity of crime, um, 
ignorance, revela- degree of revelation and stuff like that. At least that's something we can, because, okay, God is, God is a good God. He would account for these things in judgment. And then the second thing, and this is where I stand. When people ask me, what happens to those that, don't, that have never heard the gospel? I start with all these things I've said. I help them understand that it's not rejection of the gospel that separates. It's sin that separates. I talk about the fact that God will judge fairly. And that's the final, that's my third answer. That is literally what it is. That the same God that put a sense of justice in you, the same God that makes you um, uncomfortable when you hear of murder, when you hear of partiality, when you hear of injustice, and you're like, it's not fair. That sense of justice that every human should have, how much more in God? And so we might not have a yes or no answer to the question, but what we do know is that we can trust that God will do the right thing. We can trust that God will do the right thing. The God that gives love in you, that puts compassion in you, and that put justice in you, he would definitely do the right thing. What is our own responsibility? Just keep preaching. Make it so that more and more, that this question does not apply. That's the church's responsibility. That there should be no society, no civilization, no language under the earth that has not heard the gospel. So that we'll stop asking this question. That's, the, that's our own responsibility. As for judgment, just trust God. Just trust God. Because what we do know, ask what's of, there is no name given other heaven, no other name given other heaven by which men can be saved apart from Jesus. That's what we know. The rest, we leave it to God. Amen. And then, of course, the second category for those who have not obeyed the gospel, <laughs> I don't have anything to say. John 3. 17 is pretty clear. It says that if you don't believe, you're condemned already. You're condemned already. You're condemned already. Because at the end of the day, the gospel, and it makes it clear, the gospel is something to be obeyed. It's a person, it's a teaching, and it involves obedience. I would answer your question at the end. It's a very good question. But hope that makes sense. At least, as, as pertaining to the matter of what about people that haven't heard the gospel, hope that you have something to think about. Hope you have something to think about. Right? Thumbs up. You still need to sit on it. Where are we? What's going through our minds? (laughs) Okay. The thumbs up. One. I'll take one. (laughs) So if I can find five righteous people. (laughs) Still processing. That's fine. That's, That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. It's never a sen- it's it's a very sensitive topic because it's it pulls at our core of justice. Like, is it fair? Is it fair? Is it fair? But I mean, I hope that helps. All right, verse nine. It says, and it goes on. It's very sensitive. Very, very. I trust me. It's very, very sensitive. If an unbeliever asks me that question, I would not. I would not necessarily answer. In the same way I just did, I would be a lot more cautious because they already don't even have the revelation of the goodness of God. So it would be anything you say, 
it could make it even harder for them to come to the truth but don't compromise don't don't um and i'll talk about that in verse nine or oh, is it here is it here? i'm talking about it okay don't compromise the truth of scripture just to appeal to emotion don't do that don't do that but it goes on it says they will be <laughs> it gets even worse guys it's a very heavy passage it says they will be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power and that idea punished some translations say they'll be destroyed it's not that they would not cease to exist what is everlasting destruction i remember reading this first when i was like my first proper bible study on second thessalonians a couple years ago and this verse probably highlights from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power and i'm like oh this is literally what hell means of course it's probably not literal fire because it's a spiritual place it's just a description of the experience but what exactly it is it it is separation from god's presence and power think about that that is literally what um eternal judgment is of course in varying degrees and whatnot but at the end of the day it's separation from god's presence and power You're like eh, was that such a big deal we'll get to that but think about it what that just means is that eternal judgment is god giving people what they want all through your life you never wanted to be with god and god is simply saying fine we'll do it your way i can't remember i don't know if it was c.s lewis i don't know if it was charles spurgeon says there are only two kinds of people in this world those that to whom god those that tell god your will be done or those to whom god tells your will be done because that's what it is that you're like god i don't want to be with you and god says your will be done god says amen (laughs) of course again very 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 sensitive issue the issue of a soul being lost for eternity it's not a joking matter it's not something that god if i mean to think about how much joy heaven responds to one soul being saved think about the pain that that then happens when one soul is lost because what is the worth of a soul it's eternity it's eternity it's eternity nothing in this world literally comparatively nothing in this world can buy and so it's not don't and another thing in in evangelism in interacting with unbelievers never be quick like never paint a picture of a god that's like hey you didn't want me hell (laughs) it's not an easy it's 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 not it's not his will this is not his will that any any should perish see the length he has gone to and maybe Maybe at the end of Second Thessalonians, so maybe I'll do a bonus teaching on things like, oh, okay, if that's the case, why can't he just save everyone? How? Like, there's a lot, this now goes directly into apologetics. And for instance, you're like, you should make everyone believe. Then there's no free will. If there's no free will, then there's no love. It's not real. He just made human beings that would just do whatever he wants. All of you saved. Then what's the point of him making us in the first place? 
Oh, why can't he whisper into everyone's ear? I'm real. <laughs> and I've read, I've, I think I read a portion of, the, of, of a book before. Even that in itself is eroding like it's, it's, the truth is he has given enough sufficient reason. And we're going to, when we stand before God, first, as I love that, first of all, so people will not believe, right? So it will still not be a foolproof mechanism. But when we stand for God, no one will be able to say that God didn't give them enough reason to believe. But that is literally what eternal damnation is. Is that you spent your whole life running away from God and God chooses to respect your decision. Of course, even on this issue, we might have, some people have issues with the phrase everlasting destruction. And you're like, oh my God. I don't know how many of you did this as a kid. When you're trying to think of eternity, like it never ends. So 2022, 3022, 1022, we're just going. Like even now, I won't lie to you. I'll be very honest with you guys. Eternity still scares me. Even eternity, like in heaven, I'm like, you shall not be bored. Do you know what it means for something to never end? <laughs> I mean, you've not thought about it. Literally, our minds can't, infinity is a concept our minds can't grasp. It's like, forever, like, what is forever? The only thing is that I trust that the God who made me knows what is like it's it's not these are not light issues and this is literally the heart of christianity eternal life it's not light issues so much so that you meet people and i was probably part of them but that they'll be like which one do you prefer eternal life good or bad or you just everything just ends as soon as you die like there's no you you cease to exist and they'll be like let me just cease to this whole eternity thing i don't i don't want because it's it's, it's like on either side, it's, like, it's just going. It's just going. But again, the God who created us, we can trust. We can trust him. As you, the, the funny thing is that the more you start, it's like you started off Christianity not knowing anything. <laughs> That's how it usually is. And then you start to learn. And then all of a sudden, you're like so confident. They're like, ah, I know this. I know that. I, I can defend this. And then as you start to go even more, it now gets to a point where you come back to, I don't know. I just trust God. Many theologians today, that's, that's it. Just say, from I don't know to I, I think I know, you will now get back to, you know what? I just trust God. So for instance, how would eternity with God be? Once we get what it, I just trust that the one who made me knows how to satisfy me for all eternity. And that's it. And beyond that, I don't know again. I don't know. Right? But then on the other side of the spectrum, it's like eternal damnation. And you're like, forever. So God will not have, after like 20,000 years, God will not like, ah, and they've been suffering for a while. Oh. Ah. Now, is there anything someone can do in this world that deserves eternal damnation? It's another question that people ask. And unfortunately, even Christians, they are some of the answers because they are so bothered by that phrase hell or everlasting damnation or eternal destruction or stuff like that. They've created views that the Bible doesn't support. Very quickly, one view is called the uh, annihilation view. 
Annihilation, A W N I H I L A T I O N. I don't know if I pronounced it well. I don't Annihilation. <laughs> and it just means that they will cease to exist. That it's it's not that they would consciously suffer for all eternity. Is that they will cease to exist. We don't have any proof of that in the Bible. It's not scriptural. Another view is the purgatory view that they will suffer for a while until they've earned their salvation and then they will come to heaven. So they will just be in hell for like maybe 2,000. Say Hitler, 50,000 years. Ah, Michael, Michael. We'll just give you 20 years, 20 years in hell. All right. And then eventually they will change their minds and then they will come but the bible clearly says it is appointed for unto a man once to die and after then judgment we don't see anything in the bible that remotely looks like repentance in the grave because if you truly understand your bible you will know that even repentance is a work of god there's a reason the devil will never be repentant it's because he's completely shut off from god the the ability to feel bad for what you have done is because God is still working on your heart. Think about that. That is when we say separated from God, we don't really know how bad it is. Meaning, the people in hell will not even want to change their opinions about God. It's literally darker and darker because God is the only source of light. And so when you take God out of the equation, there's no hope of repentance. There's no hope of repentance. We see it in Pharaoh. Have you guys thought about it before that? Ah, if I was fair, at least common sense, common sense. There's a reason God gave Pharaoh to himself. He says, You don't want to submit to me, have it your way. And it doesn't matter what happened, Pharaoh did not change his mind. That's how it will be. It doesn't matter the experience, national, they will not change their opinions about God. Because think out, do you know what it means for? A river to turn to blood. Your own, the water source of your city. People don't have water. Blood. Frogs. Gnats. Animals are dying. Darkness. Boils on your body. He was in pain. Literally. Like, you would think that at least let the pain go away. Oh yeah, your people should go. He said no. He was here. We die here. He lost his first son. He lost his first son and he still said no to God. Do you know how? I don't know if you guys think about these things. Like, practice. Imagine a human being. <laughs> Me, I don't like pain. After, after the, once boy calls, I say, ah, ah. <laughs> my, is that my skincare routine in the mud? Please be going. <laughs> Please just be going. After he still said go, he changed, he still pursued. He said, you people. I will. He saw the river split open and he followed them as per what? So the person that split the river will keep it open for you. Do, do you get? And you see the same thing in Romans 11. It says, um, Romans 1. It says that they darkened their minds deeper and deeper and deeper into sin to the point where even in pain, God is not the option. God is not an option. It's scary to think about. Really, it is. For God to give you over to yourself. Oh my goodness. And that is literally what hell is. Eternal separation from God and his power. Eternal separation. The third view. Universalist view. That oh, 
everyone will be saved. <laughs> God is just too good. He's a love. He's a loving Santa Claus. Everybody, everybody will be saved. Why did Jesus die? Really? Nah. And while yes, these things may be hard to wrestle with, we're talking about really difficult portions or concepts of Christianity. Eternal damnation, people that haven't heard, stuff like that. My advice to you is that even while you contemplate these issues, don't compromise on the word of God. Don't. At the very least, stay saying, I don't, I might not understand, but I trust God. Because even on again on this whole, really, is hell going to be forever? Our job is to what? Preach the gospel. And to trust that on the last day, everyone, everyone, believer and non-believer alike, will know that God is just. And no one will be able to say that he was unfair. No one would, even the ones that claim now that God is, no one. So we can trust him. We can trust him. Because think about if God is the source of joy, God is the source of peace. Right now, there's no one that is eternal. There's no one that is separated from God and his power. He is the God that causes rain to shine on both the just and the unjust. The fact that you can still enjoy friendship. There are unbelievers that enjoy friendship. Enjoy marriage. Enjoy food. Even the word enjoyment is because God is still, in some sense, holding it all together, regardless of your actions. What do you think would happen when you are fully separated from the source of life? Joy. All you're left with pain, regrets, shame, anger, hurts. It's that is that is hell. Like literally, think of a world where there's no love, no joy, no peace, no hope. Everyone there is filled with just the guilt of sin, the shame, the regret, the pain. That is hell. That is hell. Selfishness, greed as well. Again, these are things to think about. These are things to think about. Amen. Let's go on. Let's try to round up. It says, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired amongst all those who believe. And so the coming of Christ, like we talked about in 1 Thessalonians, is not complete without our glorification. You are a part of that story. And we're going to see that in chapter 2. That's why Paul is like, don't listen to anyone who tells it has already happened. You've not been changed. There's no, uh, God has forgotten. No. If you who believes, you've not been glorified. Jesus has not come. And like I said, I, I remember this, the video of a popular man of God. If you get to heaven and you don't see me there, he says, you are not in heaven. <laughs> you can just know you are not in heaven. That's the confidence that when he comes to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired by all we believe. And so when Christ returns, we are going to see the victory over death in our resurrected bodies. We are all going to see him for who he is. And on that day, it's like what 1 John 3 verse 2 says. It says we don't know yet how it will be. But what we know is that we are going to see him as he is. And we are going to become just like him. And on that day, everything you've sacrificed to follow Jesus will be worth it. Don't forget... Is writing to people who are new converts and are facing intense persecution. And he's comforting them that in that day, everything you've sacrificed to follow Jesus will be worth it. Everything. 
It is because our testimony among you was believed. Verse 11, as we end today with two verses to go. It says, therefore, we always pray for you that God will count you worthy of his calling and fulfill the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. You might not understand it. Let's read NLT. It looks very convoluted. Verse 11, NLT. We keep praying for you, asking God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. It goes back to what he said in verse 5. That this the persecution, the pain, it shows that indeed you are worthy of the call of God. That you are able to continually suffer, staying steadfast under persecution. Being able to live your life for Jesus, even when it's not easy. That's what it means, that God will enable you to live a life worthy of his call. And he will give you the power. Remember I told you, it's not just that, oh, I'm suffering, I'm persecuted. There's a power that comes with it. There's a boldness that comes with it. It says he'll give you the power to accomplish all the good things that your faith prompts you to do. So number one, grace to live worthy of him regardless of the opposition and number two power to accomplish what faith what your faith tells you to do that that refers to engaging evangelizing standing fast right those are the two prayers and then what does he say in verse 12 then the name of the lord jesus will be honored because of the way you live and you will be honored along with him and it will all be made possible because of the grace of our Lord Jesus, our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, when it says that Jesus will be honored, it doesn't mean liked. <laughs> that Jesus will be honored by your life doesn't necessarily mean just to be liked. But even in suffering for Christ, Jesus is honored. The two points, that's verse 11. That number one, it's in the NLT. God will enable you to live a life worthy of his call. I love Paul and prayers so much. It's something we should make a practice of. If you don't know what to pray about, from Romans to <laughs> just the end, anywhere you see Paul praying, write, you, if possible, write it down in a book, in a journal. Just have those prayers and just be praying it. At least we know what we should pray from that. That God will enable you to live a life worthy of his call, number one. And number two, that you would have the power to accomplish all that your faith prompts you to do. Amen. And it says, as a result, the name of Jesus will be honored. That God will be glorified because of your life. Because of your life. Because of your life. And then he also now says, and it is possible, all of this is possible. Why? Because of grace. And I told you what grace is. God is at work in you. I can trust that I would stand, I would live a life worthy of his call. I can trust that I would have the boldness and the power and the wisdom to do all that God wants me to do, regardless of the persecution. I can trust that through my life, the name of Jesus will be honored in my, in my workplace, in my school, in my friends. Why? Because there is grace at work. God is at work in me. And that's why, for instance, in Philippians, it says that, uh, that work out your salvation, fear and trembling, for it is God. The reason you can even walk out is because God is at work within. The more I stay in the word, the more I pray, 
I can trust God at work in me to do the right thing consistently, to represent him in a fallen world. To represent him in a fallen world. Amen. And so as we close today and we close this chapter, you might think like, this is probably even a chapter more for the unbeliever. Right? But the point there, ultimately, if there's anything you should take away from today, is that whether believer or unbeliever, we should constantly be thinking about eternity. If this life is not all there is, it changes everything. Because if there's even a chance of judgment after death, we should contemplate it. And what we see today is that the devil tries to get us to not think about these things. That alone time, I've literally, I had a friend that said they don't enjoy being alone. Or like, you know that time at night where you're just alone and your thoughts start to come because they start to think about all this serious stuff. And I'm like, ah, you don't want to think about serious matters of death. And Literally, there are people that all their life today is chasing pleasure, making sure that they are always busy just so that those thoughts about what happens after I die don't come. And that's the work of the devil. Remember we talked about that in our last teaching. Being asleep or not being watchful. Being drunk and being asleep. Those two things. Being drunk, being asleep. That is literally all the devil wants to do. To make sure that the unbeliever stays asleep. And then the believer that is going to... You too. You would would also do so. So that we're not having these conversations. We're not engaging people. Whether it's through busyness, oh, you're you're just so busy with work so that as soon as you get home, you're tired, you just watch a Netflix movie and you go to bed. You're not able to contemplate that, okay, if I work 50 years, then what? Oh, I retire, I have kids, then what? I enjoy my old age, then what? I die, then what? What after that? The devil does, it's literally, it's hard at work. With entertainment, we see just so that there's constantly impulse oh i'm always scrolling i can't just sit down i'm in a waiting room i have a doctor's appointment i'm 10 minutes early okay 10 minutes of thinking nope you that instagram you will check it you will check it so your mind is always engaged no room for god to to even in the say in the quiet moments there's no quiet moment <laughs> no quiet moment anymore you're on a flight two hours just sit down and think just think and that's literally what we see the devil doing today for many societies like in the west it's not we don't maybe not persecution or no 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 but so much pleasure or busyness such that the unbeliever will never think about eternity and unfortunately even the believer that is meant to remind them we are the salt it's fine if the unbeliever is not like it's fine Right? They are blinded by this world. They are asleep. But we are the light. We are the salt. We are the ones meant to be putting it out there. Have you thought about eternity? Have you thought about this? Have you wake up? Well, we're the ones awake, right? We're the ones to wake people up. But unfortunately, the devil is hard at work to make sure that even the church doesn't think about eternity. So if there's anything you can take away from today, is that you should reflect enough to know how urgent our work is. You should reflect enough to know that I have a responsibility to wake people up around me. 
I should be stirred to act. If they will not think, me, I would think and I'll be stirred up enough to call their attention. To call their attention. And that's why Paul was saying, don't be asleep. Don't be drunk. Don't be so lulled that you forget that there are way more important things than that next project, than that next vacation, than just the next 50, 60, 70 years of your life. There's way more. Because yes, you are saved, but because of your inactivity, a lot of people will not hear Jesus. Imagine if the apostles were so busy with career, say, ah, oh God, <laughs> we will not be here today. We will not be here today. We will not be here today. Imagine if they were just like, ah, I only live once. I want to, I want to have a good time. We will not be here today. And while, yes, you do, there's a place, a big place, like we talked about, even in career, there's nothing wrong in believers having fun. Nothing wrong at all. All I'm saying is priority. Priority. On what level? Is it God and eternity first? Or is it this world first? It is the gospel that saves and it is our responsibility to remind the world that there is life after the. I mean, literally, that's what Paul said, that he has proven that there is judgment after the grave and he has given proof of this by the man he has raised from the dead, Jesus. The resurrection shows that there's life after death. If there's life after death, you need to think because your actions have consequences. That is the message of the believer. That's why we're here. Amen. 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 All right. Any question before I round up? Before we pray and then just call it call it a day. I, I hope I hope we've been blessed. I hope we've we're gonna think on these things and pray on these things. Take some time and pray on these things. Um Toyosi asked if it was if it was uh okay for a person's drive for preaching the gospel to be to be the reward. Yes, actually, it is if that is your primary motivation then you are you are you are ill motivated and we talked about it in philippians where some people were preaching the gospel it was still the gospel but their motivation was way off our biggest motivation for preaching the gospel is the souls of men it's love yes there is a reward and it is part of it i'm not going to be that person that says oh don't care no 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 it's, there is a reward and it's also a motivation but our biggest motivation is the salvation of souls. It's the salvation of souls. Amen. Any other questions? Any other questions? It's a heavy teaching, Abby. <laughs> all right. I will leave you all to pray, think about it, and make necessary corrections or actions where there needs to be. Um, again, the prayer points we pray that Paul prayed for them. Is that what you meant? Uh, okay, if that's what you meant, that's first second Thessalonians 1 verse 11. The NLT will make it very clear. Number one, God enabling you to live a life worthy of his call. And number two, God giving you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Um, I think these are prayers we should pray as well. I think uh, these are things that we should reflect on and see if there are ways we can change. 
Amen. I'll pray. We'll share the benediction. Then we call it a day. All right. Uh, dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for today. Thank you for the start to a brand new book. Thank you for all that we covered today. I pray that the truth of your word rings loud in our hearts. I pray that we are not believers that are so carried away by the demands or the pleasures or the inconveniences of this life that we fail to remember that there is something way more important. I pray that our lives reflect what we believe. That we live every day full of that conviction that there is an eternity ahead. I pray that we have the boldness and the compassion to engage unbelievers around us. To ask them questions that will get them thinking. Questions that will wake them up. Questions that would ultimately lead to Jesus. I pray that, like Paul did, that you enable us to live a life worthy of this call. A life marked by love, marked by faith, where the world would look at us and know that indeed something is different. And I pray that you give us the boldness, the wisdom and the strength to engage our society, to engage our culture, to engage this world even as our faith stirs, up to, stirs us up to do so. I pray that the week is blessed. And even as we come to the end of 2022, it is free from untimely death, sicknesses, accidents, whatever mishap, that we end in health, in vitality, in strength, ready to take on 2023 for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, before we take our benediction, as usual, again, thank you everyone for coming. Um, it's always, always a pleasure. As usual, share with anyone that needs this. Um, reflect, think on the things we've learned. Again, the point of theology is to lead to changes in our lives. Um, we're going to meet again same time next week. I recognize that that's the 24th. If you can't make it, it's fine. The recording will be out there as well. Um, all right. Let's share the benediction and then we call it a day. I believe everyone can see my screen. Um, let's unmute ourselves. One, two, go. I am a diligent student and doer of the word. I am a teacher of the word and the word prospects my growth. By the word, by the word, I am trained in righteousness. And in the word, my spirit rejoices. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Awesome. Thank you all so much. I would say what's this? priority i like that <laughs> um all right i will see you guys next saturday oh yes please put argentina and messi in your prayers hopefully i would be here to rejoice with you all on saturday um <laughs> i need your prayers pray along with me <laughs> have a great week guys um yes it's that's the mysterious hand is <laughs> moving in their midst um all right have a great week guys bye